welcome to Wildcards. We created this podcast to get under the skin and to listen to incredible people that have gone on to do some pretty special things in their industries that they sit in. We wanted to speak to them about the game-changing moves that they've made, the companies they've created. We want to listen, most importantly, to the mistakes that they've made and how they've learned from them and how they've been able to create some special things within the industries that they sit in. Find out today what makes a wildcard. Hi, I'm, uh, I'm Sam Thomas. I am host of the County Business Talks podcast. So I've been interviewing people um, over the last few years, just talking to local business owners and entrepreneurs about their entrepreneurial journey. Um, and I'm excited to talk to Alex today about, about the amazing company, Tilo. I'm also um, a trustee of Rocking Horse. So you'll see a slide that comes up um, and you can donate to, to Rocking Horse Children's Charity. Um, it's a charity really close to my heart. Um, basically saved my son's life when they were, my twins were born nearly eight years ago. So um, they do some amazing work with the local hospital, especially at the Royal Alex uh, Children's Hospital here in, in Sussex. So um, if you can donate and support, that would be amazing. And um, looking forward to delving into a chat with you, Alex. Yeah, no, thank you, uh, Sam. And big thank you to James. Um, I, well, first off, I didn't ever think in a million years I'd be in the Brighton Dome on stage talking in front of so many people today. So big thank you for your being here. Um, I am Alex Preece. I've founded a company called Tilla. I'm the current CEO of the business and co-founder. I founded it seven years ago. Um, but what a lot of people don't know about myself is also I was in the British Army, so I'm a veteran. I'm a father um, as well. So I wanted to sort of think about the theme today. I was talking to James about sort of being here and talking to you all. And that uh, that theme today is that a journey of unknown, which you can you can see here. So you know, I sort of look back over my time. Um, from my disruptive sort of upbringing to some extent through to leaving school, no GSSEs or anything like that, and joining the British Army and then going to a war zone in Iraq and then being in Bosnia. And then fast forward to today, running a multi-million pound international tech company, huge imposter syndrome sort of sets in. I sort of think, how the hell did I sort of get from one place over here to this place over here? And actually a lot of that when reflecting which I'm hoping I want to invite everyone here today to sort of think about the journeys that you have all taken uh, to get to where you are, good or bad. And I think a life lesson there in for myself and hopefully for you guys is that those unknown journeys are the most interesting ones where you take that leap of faith and it could be a bad road. It could be a good road. I think the bad ones for me have always been the ones where I've learned just the most incredible experience, even if it's taken a year, even if it's taken seven years or a month or whatever. I've learned huge amount from that sort of time. So really excited to be here today um, with you, Sam, to sort of delve into some of these subjects a bit better. So I'll, yeah, I'll shut up now. Thank you. Let's, let's kick off then, shall we? We're, um, well, let's start. Just want to tell, tell us a little bit about life growing up for you. Um, something maybe about your early years is really, I guess, the shaped, shaped who you are today. Yeah, so I, my dad, uh, just a bit of a background on my family. So my dad came over from Iran in 1979. So he was, uh, he left Iran because of the revolution that happened there when the Shah was overthrown. And then um, he came to England and he managed to get asylum here and he went to school, met my mum. Uh, and then the rest is history. Four kids later, uh, I'm the oldest of the, of the crew. Um, we, we didn't have a lot. My dad worked... Um, sort of, you know, tirelessly with my mum, 
he borrowed some money from my granddad on my mum's side to sort of set up the house on Pooh Corner, which was a little restaurant uh, in, in Weymouth. And uh, it, I just always remember seeing working. We didn't really go on holidays that much. I think I went on holiday when I was four and then again when I was at school when I was 13 or 14. But I never really felt as if life was sort of hard. It was just, you know, just normal. No one really went on holiday. No one sort of... Um, I didn't really go without, if, if that makes sense. It, it, we didn't have a lot. You know, we grew up, um, you know, when I sort of look back at my, my schooling and stuff and actually, you know, curveballs coming here and there in terms of um, journeys that I had to sort of undertake. So when my mum and dad were, I think I was, I was 11 at the time, they got divorced. Really horrible experience when I was nine. My, my, my granddad unfortunately got murdered, which was which wasn't obviously a nice experience. I was really young at the time, so I didn't really understand at, at nine years old losing someone that close to me. My dad ended up taking um, a really sort of a sort of downward spiral from where he'd come from, from you know starting businesses to then actually going bankrupt and losing everything. And then my mum and dad ended up splitting up, and then it was a a bit of a turmoil in terms of lots of different houses moving into council sort of accommodation with my brothers and sisters and sort of seeing, um, you know, the end of this happy marriage, if you will. Was the was the was the bankruptcy was was that what led to it? Do you think? Or? I think I think you know he was yeah he was an interesting character uh, and he I think that was a way out for him. I think I think that was a way of sort of starting clean and fresh and an opportunity for him to sort of set himself aside from where my mum was going, which was fending for herself almost. So it was a, it was difficult. And, and I guess like for you at a, at a young age, seeing, seeing that, and, but then you've still gone into running your own businesses later in life, but seeing your dad doing that didn't, didn't affect you. And I think that that is a sort of effort, you know, I think unbeknown to my parents, seeing that all the time, that sort of, work ethic that ability that you know being able to create something from nothing ultimately i think that is where i've been able to sort of take a, a leaf from his book and my mum's book of just working really hard to try to get to where you want to be um i think the military did a lot more of that but i think you know unbeknown to me when i was growing up which i was, I was really lost i didn't really you know i didn't have uh, i was lost at school i didn't i wasn't naughty or sort of bad or anything like that but it was definitely a, a place where I, di I wasn't inspired by anyone or anything. But then, so let's let's move on to the army. Then talk to us about that because obviously, then you went at sixteen. That's what you decided. You say didn't really have that direction at school. But what led you to then to go into the army and and do that? Yeah. So if we, you know, I'm thirty nine now. I'm holding on to thirties. But if we if we look back to when I joined joined the military and left school, it was the year two thousand. So there was no Iraq. There was Northern Ireland. And I certainly didn't leave the, my school thinking, I managed to get into the army first. So you, you don't need any GCSEs to pass the, to get into the army. All you need is to pass this, this quite simple test to get in. It's called the FARB test. Anyway, I managed to pass that. And that was prior to me doing my GCSEs. So as soon as I did that, I just didn't try. I didn't, I didn't leave with anything. There was no Cs. I think there might have been a couple of Ds and whatever else. But um, left, joined the military, and that was the best thing that sort of happened to me. So I, my granddad on my dad's side, who uh, was taken from us, he, he was in the military in the Shah, so he, and then his dad was, and then going back, it was military, and then on my mum's side, it was military all the way through. So it wasn't 
unnormal for me to sort of, it wasn't, it wasn't a surprise that I was going to go in the military. It was very much a place where you need to go in there to sort of find your way. Um, but yeah, joined and then curveball kind of comes along. Um, and that was an unknown journey in myself. You know, I didn't really know what to expect in the military. There weren't any of my friends at school joining the military. So I was the sort of only one in my year going into the, into, into the army. And then I sort of remember doing my year's training and then walking into the NAFI, which is sort of like a cafe on site uh, on, in a military base, and then seeing on TV this enormous tragedy happening, which was 9-11. And just been thinking, like, well, that's obviously going to change the way we do things today. And lo and behold, it did. It meant that we, you know, we quickly deployed uh, from... Um, I think it's like we went for 48 notice hours to move in terms of going to war. So my friends went, got lost, unfortunately. And then I ended up going to Iraq after passing and doing my jumps course, which enabled me to be paratrained and so jumping out of planes. So I saw in my world, I went into the reconnaissance area of the military, which was jumping out of airplanes and building up the, 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 the battle picture, if you will, for uh, command to build up a bit of a plan on how we're going to do things uh, in war. But then, then what, what goes through your head then at that stage? Like, like when something like that happens with 9-11, you think that we are now going to go to war and stuff, and then you've got to go out there and do that. What, what, your mindset, where's that? that? Yeah, I'm conscious that, like, you know, I might come up here and sort of come across quite confident. I was really scared. Mm. I was not, like, a confident person back then. I was naive. I sort of didn't really know what to expect at all. And I was, I just didn't, I didn't, I'd been on tour in Bosnia on active duty, but I hadn't been you know, anywhere like Iraq before, mm. nowhere near it. So actually going there with my, with my unit and my, you know, all my friends and things, it was an enormous experience. I didn't see my family for five and a half months. So I was out there 20 minutes a week on a phone card. You get to speak to your mum, your dad, your brothers and sisters, potentially. I had a girlfriend at the time, like you, you know, it's a, it, that's a, Yes, we're not used to that today, mm. certainly. So I think that curveball came along and then we had the fire strike sort of happen, which was quite funny. That was, you know, I didn't join the army to be a fireman. I didn't train to be a fireman, but, they, they, you know, we had to sort of act on. So I was, you know, driving a Green Goddess 1950s uh, fire engine around London, putting out fires with my, with my crew, which was quite funny um, and exciting at the same time. But again, these cards just kept on being dealt throughout my career of thinking, actually, you know, this ch constant change, not really knowing you're going to have your weekend, you know, just constantly not knowing what's going to happen. So that the journey of, of, uh, of that military career was, was a surprising one. It was one where I sort of got to the end of that military career where I knew I didn't want to be told what to do anymore. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it, it instilled some real... Um, great disciplines and that competitiveness into into my behaviours and wanting to do well ultimately. And then, but then you get to twenty one and decide that you've had enough of the army. You want to you want to leave the army and come out. And then, so talk to me about that process afterwards. And then ultimately go in, I guess, and almost the start of an entrepreneurial journey. Mm. Then leading into that. Yeah. So obviously, you know, I was taking a bit of a leap of unknown into going to the military, and then. In the, in the army, you, it takes a year for you to sign off. So obviously, you know, if you're relatively senior or you're quite valuable in a business, it's very normal to see three months notice, you know, in a, in, a, in a contract, maybe a month, maybe two months. In the military, it's 12 months. 
So it takes a long time to get out. Um, and then there's this sort of fear building up of like this cotton wool being removed from you, around you. Because it's, it, you know, you can spend all your money at the weekend and you're still getting fed, you're still getting a roof over your head. So that bit started to come in. I thought, well, actually, I'll, I'll, go, into, I'll go into something whereby I can, I can control my own destiny. I'll start an e-com store. I'll start an, e, an e-commerce website. So what I'll do is I'll go to the bank and I'll pretend I'm buying a car. Now, the banks at the time were, bearing, this was probably two, this was 2006. So they were all up for giving money to people in the military because you're guaranteed to get money. So I borrowed 25,000 pounds from the bank about a month before, two, two or three months before I'd left the military uh, and then started my first business with it, which was a, a sort of luxury um, sort of boutique that sold candles and loads of other stuff for couples going away and things. And talk to us about that business then, what happened with, with that? So, yeah, that was a really interesting journey. That, that lasted a year before I went bankrupt personally myself. Um, so I, I ended up losing everything. I, I didn't know how to manage cash flow. I didn't know anything about online. I learned very quickly how to spend a lot of money and not get a great return. Um, but actually, when I look back, it was one of the single best sort of learning curves I've ever had. Um, it, it, it taught me just an enormous amount about losing everything, signing on at the dole as a proud military man. That was horrible, the sort of experience to sort of go through, um, like dressing up almost, pretending I didn't look the way I did. Put, put, you know, just I just didn't look like... Alex, I sort of went into the dole officer, a different person. So that lasted six months, um, but it was a, it was hard. You know, I didn't really, I didn't really even think about paying rent or anything like that. It was a, it was just a complete eye opener in terms of spend. I'm, I'm keen to just touch on your mindset around that point as well, like because especially going back to your dad, obviously going bankrupt. Then you first business, then gone bankrupt, and then but and being in that position to then dust yourself off, go again. Talk to me a little bit about that. It's weird. I, it's not easy to say this, but it's, it's not that I think everything's positive. I always, I always look at things that, you know, I feel really lucky to be able to do the things I do. Even back then, I thought, I'm lucky that I'm not in the army. I'm lucky that I'm not in Afghanistan. Like my brother did tours. Out there. Like if, there was all these things that were happening. I just felt, I'm lucky I'm not doing that. I'm lucky I'm not in a ditch in, uh, in Iraq. It, it, it was just, so I just sort of, I don't know, just put this shield up almost um, of, of trying to get, get through it and, and ultimately get into a place of, you know, these things won't last forever. There will be an opportunity to move forward. Uh, and, um, yeah, just put, it, it was always me just putting a bit, a bit of a shield through. I think that's such a great, like, that if anything we've learned, especially, I guess, over the last couple of years with curveballs as we're talking about today, but like things like COVID comes into play and, you you know, for any business owner in the room that they sort of that is a massive curveball mm. but actually what is shown and listening to you talk about that for me is listening big word coming out of it which has done the last couple of years resilience like you, you've got to have that resilience and you've got to be able to go uh, what's the worst that can happen actually what's the best thing that can happen and go again and i think that's it goes back to my original point of like inviting everyone here today to think about those hard decisions they've made that have actually been better or for worse and actually for me that bankruptcy and signing signing on has enabled me to think when I do something I don't want to fail I don't want to fail to do things I try and do things to the best of my ability um but yeah absolutely it, it sort of dresses up that ability for you to um to go again and again and again and and you certainly have done that and we can um I mean let's let's talk about the the 
the next business so you, that you bootstrapped to tell to tell people a little bit about that yeah so me me and my best mate we we were working for a little bit so i, I came to brighton uh my, my my wife girlfriend at the time she ended up working with american express we ended up living in just picking brighton coming here i was a mortgage broker that took me four times to pass the test to do that i did that in 2007 and about four months later the market sort of imploded um so i decided to go into uh i worked for a company that was doing a lot of seo uh, for some comparison websites. Anyway, I met best mate, business partner, his best man at my wedding, Gareth. We we saw this amazing company doing incredible things in America, in Chicago, called Groupon. And we were like, hmm, that sounds, that looks good. Should we try and do it ourselves? So we had some experience working with newspapers. We thought we'll build this, this tool for newspapers to run daily deals. Um, and it just didn't get any traction. We just thought that the newspapers loved it. They were taking too long. They were, you know, big, big companies back then. Um, and ultimately, we just ended up building it ourselves. We ended up getting a small following here in Brighton, about three and a half thousand people. And we were funding it. I was doing, I, I had a bit of savings at the time. I must have, I don't know, five, five or 10,000 pounds. We borrowed some money from the bank. Gareth had the same. We ended up bootstrapping for about eight months. And then we got into a, a trial with moneysupermarket.com um, and <laughs> they they ran the trial we ended up outselling Groupon 10 to 1 in the towns that we picked with some of the deals that we found and it was just all luck it just felt really lucky timing was perfect anyway we ended up they ended up fast tracking this is when Simon Nixon was in charge of it one of the wealthiest people in the UK and he um, he yeah expe expedited the transaction to, to buy the company which was fantastic, which just, I just couldn't quite believe it. We'd be 27, 26, I think at the time. Within eight months of trading, it was just crazy. Real whirlwind. We had a small team of four people, I think. Uh, and they ended up reporting to the, to the city because they're a public listed company and the deal, I didn't, we didn't get all this, but it was a, it was a deal worth 11 million pound. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's, so, okay. So, so you've started another company eight months in, but you bootstrapped it to get to that point. 11 million what what you that was obviously you staying on to be involved in that company for a bit but then you obviously left a bit of money on the table quite a bit of money on the table and come out so talk yeah. about that decision and yeah corporate marriage didn't really suit us <laughs> we um we sold the business and 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 it very quickly became clear that the way we wanted to run it was very different to how money supermarket.com wanted to run it um so we ended up leaving about a year and a bit later after we sold it which was which was again a, a leap of un, un, into un, the unknown it was we wanted to work in payments we found this amazing company in sweden that was doing these mobile payments before apple pay uh, and they were do, they, had, they raised an incredible amount of money they had a very successful company in their own right they're an e-top-up company um processing billions of transactions and then we, we ended up working for this company for two or three years, which was which was um, which was really interesting. But it just taught me that, like you know, again, nothing lasts forever. You know, it was a great euphoric moment, but it, it that moment was short lived. It, it didn't last very long at all. It gives you a taste, I guess, for you to go. Actually, so we spoke about a little bit about this offline about I guess being money motivated, or you was driven from that for from a younger age. I, money motive i want to create this mm. and that gives you that taste i guess of, of that yeah i think you know i've never started anything wanting to fail i've never started anything wanting to raise money particularly i've always wanted to sort of 
I've al we've always been in businesses or I've always been in businesses where we've, we've spent our own money to get to a certain place. And unfortunately, even the first business where I personally went bankrupt, that I managed to sell that afterwards, managed to sell the assets to pay my uh, some other debt off. Um, so, yeah, it's always been about trying to create and be in control of my own destiny, ultimately. Mm. So, and I guess it's that, we, we talked again a little bit offline about the fear of failure. A lot of things that stop people doing stuff is that fear of failure, which... What's your relationship like with that, Mark? So you don't set out to to want to fail, but obviously ups and downs, challenges along the way. You know. Yeah, I think I'd lie if I said here and pretend I'm some sort of visionary and hard-nosed person and just like, yeah, I just keep on going to do things. I don't go into anything thinking I'm going to fail. Even when we've, you know, we've changed business models ever so slightly, you know, we, I don't really call it failure. It's like testing or pivoting or whatever. We, I, we call it a different thing in different industries, I think. Personally, I don't enjoy failure. Um, I don't enjoy... I enjoy looking back at certain things that I've done that haven't worked out, and it tastes better when you've gone and done it yourself or you've managed to push through through adversity. I think in anything like that, it's, it's, it's incredible. Like, even passing my power course, like one of the most proudest things I've ever been able to do, that was really hard. It's near special forces. So it's it, it's tough to do. It's not meant to be easy. So those sorts of things you learn very early on. And I have people on the course that have failed it four times. So to do those courses full time, I don't know how people have the mindset to do that. That's mm -hmm. incredible. Um, so yeah, I don't enjoy failure. I don't do anything to... Uh, but it's having that psychological safety thing mm -hmm. and that is what we try and create in our business today is that it's okay to test and not do that great in something or we'll learn from it mm -hmm. um, that's the key thing is having that safety net that the team and the people around you either personally or professionally can have that they can learn from i guess that's the that, that is it it's the lessons that we learn from not just necessarily failures but like you say pivoting and and whatever business we're in that you go in a different path and actually that's okay to go we've tried that that's not really worked but we've learned from that and then we go elsewhere so i mean which you must have had a lot to so talk to me a little bit uh let's go into where we are now with tillo and to tell people a little bit more about that and yeah and that, that that amazing journey yeah no it's been so seven years uh since we founded the business pretty much um six years trading and we you know, we, we, we grew that we, we found an industry ultimately that was very fragmented and antiquated when, when it came for a buying journey of, of gift cards. So gift cards are, you know, interesting things in their own right. Um, but nothing that we do is, is really about gifting. There are gifting platforms that we power, but most of it is self-use. Now, you know, when we started this, there were there were two incumbents in the industry and they're those businesses there were doing an incredible job with physical cards. So we came out from a digital perspective thinking, well, you turn on Netflix and you expect it to be on immediately. You order your food on Deliveroo, it just comes immediately. Whereas in, in the world of self-use, it was very antiquated in terms of buying. So really hard business to start. So it was a, it's a two-sided marketplace, um, but through real sheer hard work and through my, myself, my business partner, and the team, we managed to create something and pioneer what is... Tillo. So, you know, ultimately we, we work with thousands of brands on one side of our network and on the other side we've got lots of publishers or buyers, if you will. So they go through government agencies uh, through to uh, crypto companies using it for off-ramp to rewarding companies, uh, employees and things like that. So 
business grew really well and we, we, we bootstrapped it, we raised a tiny bit of money um, and we proved the product market fit was working and we, again, failure set in. We, we looked to do a Series A five years ago or something, four years ago, and just didn't work out. The, mes the message didn't resonate. And it was one of the best decisions that we ever that, that ever happened to us in, in, in hindsight because we've only raised a million pound. And that was because it took us about six months, seven months of funding ourselves. We did a bit of a raise, a seed extension, got profitable, and then we've just been profitable ever since. Now, if we did the Series A, the company would be very different, I think. I think we'd behave very differently. But we're proud that we've got the long-term security for our partners that we work with, the team, and we look long-term. Ultimately, that's the sort of key now. But yeah, the business has grown substantially over, you know, the the, the seven years that we've been uh, we've been incorporated for. Especially around COVID time, we just saw this huge transformation of digital. Um, and yeah, can't quite believe we're we're a business of nearly 100 people and in Austin, Texas, and Brighton, <laughs> which is HQ. So such an incredible the theme, obviously, of the day, like talking about curveballs and, and things coming into the into the journey like like you obviously just mentioned there about with the series a like you get to that point and think oh this is the only way we're gonna get there that doesn't come in to actually being able to pivot to be able to adapt and go right what's the next stage and how do we do mm. and like you said actually worked out better it does i think <laughs> quite often it, always, it normally does yeah. i think even in the worst cases even when i remember being in a ditch uh in a cold night in Iraq. And I just remember thinking, smiling, thinking, it's not that bad. I'm being paid to be here. And it's actually quite safe where I was in the ditch. I wasn't being hurt or being <laughs> frustrated, wasn't it? It wasn't, I could always, I, just pulling that positivity out of it. I've had health scares recently, well, you know, um, a year ago or so. And yeah, I think you just look at things very differently in that, in that light. Yeah. Amazing. Look, it's, it's fascinating change here. T tell me, what, what's the future hold? For, for Alex Brees and Tilo. Yeah, I'm bad for future thinking. I, I'm not, uh, I never really think more than two years out. So my wife is saying, you know, what's our 10 year plan? What's our, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I love doing things. Um, I feel really proud actually that we've been able to do lots of stuff locally. You know, we're doing stuff with the Rocking Horse. We've done stuff with Martlets this year. I'm at um, an event on Friday because of Martlets who help a lot of people when it comes to um, end of life care. We've done a lot of stuff with, you know, planting trees and sort of giving back locally, private sc school tuition for children locally as well, uh, emergency school funds and things like that for the most hard-hit families. Being able to do that, that's really cool. I want to do more of that sort of stuff, definitely. Um, there is a journey of unknown that I'm taking at the moment. I'm trying to convince my wife that it's a great idea for me and the kids, three kids, to go to, and they're all young, like eight, nine, six, and one, to go to Austin and live there. That's a hard sell when we've got, we've been set up here for nine years, living in our current house. So, um, yeah, going for a bit of a journey unknown there, to be honest. But yeah, do more stuff locally. Ultimately, that's the key thing: give, giving more back. Amazing. Look, it's like I say, it's been brilliant chatting to you, and I'm sure people have taken a lot away. I, I, I do like to finish generally interviews with some quick fire questions, which uh, I'm going to throw these at you if that's okay to finish up with. So. If you could go back in time and change one specific moment in your life, what would that be and why? Yeah, of course, we've got three minutes, haven't we? Um, so for me, instantly thinking about that school, I wasn't proud of my performance there at all. I, I, don't, I don't look back and feel proud that I did the best I could. I could have done a lot better. I've sort of failed there. So mm. that's where I would go back. Okay. Um, 
tell me a specific story about someone in your life that's helped to make you the person you are today. And what did they do? Oh, uh, that's hard, isn't it? Um, I think I don't look. I never had anyone around me really when I was growing up thinking that I wanted to aspire to be. But I look at my granddad and the relationship he had with my nan at past. Like I think they were together for like. 60 years or something like that's mm. incredible and I also love the um yeah the solid relationship he had with um with all of us as as grandkids so yeah sort of learning from him stability uh and that sort of tenacity in working on a relationship or business just taking those sort of learnings from amazing. him amazing what failures do you cherish the most uh yeah, the bankruptcy, losing everything. Yeah, being that rock bottom place of just not having anything and having to start from from fresh, and not wanting to go there again. Final one. If you give our audience some key points to take away from that Alex Priest rule book of life lessons, what would they be? All right. Um, <laughs> Small batch coffee is definitely the best in Brighton and Hove. I don't care what they say about Flowerpole Bakery. Um, I No, seriously. So ideas versus opportunities. I think I have lots of ideas. I'm sure everyone here has tons of ideas. It's the opportunities that are important. Like, is it worth it? Is it fulfilling enough for you to take time out of your time to go after it? I think that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Um, I think... Uh, I think passion the type of passion that's so contagious that can convince people to join you on that mission that can convince your partner to get excited your loved ones around you to be excited people to give you money to be a part of it that sort of passion i think is just really key and conviction um i think luck but try making your own luck um i think uh what other things were they thinking? I think being human, being more kind to each other, to everyone, always being nice to people, I think is a nice thing. I think you can take a long way. I mean, I remember leaving the army. I didn't behave the way I do now. You can't behave like that to people. <laughs> you can't speak to people uh, like people get spoken to in the army. So I took a real learning curve three, I think six months after I left that, you know, have to change your behavior and attitude when you're sort of talking and presenting and doing everything you're doing. So um, I think everyone can take a bit of thing out, um, a, bit, a bit of love out of that, if you will. Brilliant. Mate, thank you so much. Yeah. I'm sure everyone will agree they've taken a lot away from today. I know I certainly have. So um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and yeah. um, hopefully everyone got a lot out of that, which I'm sure they did. So thanks for, thanks so much. Wish you continued success with TLO. Amazing. Mate. Thank you, mate. Appreciate it, Sam. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Thank you. Please follow us on social media. Uh, so we can keep the conversation going and sign up via all the different channels that we're on. Hashtag is Wildcards Podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast and be the first to kind of hear every episode that are being released. So yeah, hopefully to speak to you all soon. Thank you. Thank you.